Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. For those of you who were not here uh, last week, uh, those who chose to celebrate with the pirates instead of with us, and we're not mad. But uh, we're in a series looking at the decline and fall of uh, the most powerful nation uh, on the planet, the nation of Israel. Uh, and we're walking through the books of First and Second Kings. Now, from a Jewish perspective, um, it's just called Kings. Uh, but in this book, First and Second Kings, um, there's information about the kings that led Israel and the prophets that led Israel. The kings were leading the people, caring for the nation, and the prophets were responsible with the spiritual, moral, and ethical guidance for the people and for the kings. Uh, and I said last week that it, it, you know, even though we have chosen to separate church and state, it was never God's intent that church and state be separated because the spiritual and ethical and moral guidance uh, from a relationship with God uh, is meant to help govern and lead and care for the people. And we started looking at the life of Solomon and, and how he came into power and even despite his family issues and civil war within his family, uh, how he came into power and he was one of the kings, but how even within himself there was like a civil war. And for those of you who don't know, civil war is basically a war between citizens of the same country, but on a broader scale, it's an internal battle or struggle within an organization, uh, within a family, within a nation, within a community. Uh, it's, it's things that are supposed to be together, divided, and not just divided, but fighting against one another. Uh, and here's the thing, before we continue, um, talking about uh, the nation of Israel, uh, let's talk a little bit about our nation. Because right now we're, we're going into an election, and I don't, I don't do politics. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm an independent. Uh, but there is, every time an election comes up, especially when it's presidential, there's this, this debate that happens, and you'll probably see it online over and over. Are we a Christian nation? Should the morals and ethics that uh, a person has based on their religious affiliation come into play when they're going into politics. And now, for me, I would think, yeah, I want to know, you know, where your morals and ethics come from. Because if you have morals and ethics and say it's okay to cheat, lie, and steal, I'm probably not going to vote for you. You know, so I want to have an idea of, of what you're basing your kind of platform on, so to speak. Uh, but a question always comes up. Are we a Christian nation? Now, how many people remember the Pledge of Allegiance? Okay, I have no idea uh, whether or not they still uh, say that in school. I don't know. Okay, it, some places they don't, some places they do. I have no idea. Uh, but here, let me give you a little bit of background. Pledge of Allegiance, as it exists today, was originally composed in August 1892 by Francis Bellamy, who was a Baptist minister. All the Baptists said amen. But um, there was a previous version that existed and it, and it went right alongside with the one that uh, Francis Bellamy created. It was by Colonel George Balch, uh, a veteran of the Civil War, who went on to become uh, uh, an auditor of the New York Board of Education. Now, 
the one that existed alongside the, the one that we know today, even though it's been edited, uh, the Colonel Bouch version, was this. And this was existed 1892, and it stayed in place, even though the other one got more press. This stayed in place until the 1923 flag conference. And it is, we give our heads and hearts to God and our country, one country, one language, one flag. So you had some people saying this as the Pledge of Allegiance, which obviously gives credit to who? God. Yeah. But then the one that we're more familiar with is the um, 1892 one. And this is the original way that it came out, 1892. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This is the one that was created by the Baptist minister. Uh, then in 1923, uh, they, this, or actually in 1892, that same year, they amended it with what you see in red. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic. So instead of and the republic, they added in and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And then in 1923 at the flag conference, I, or was, I guess is what it was called, uh, they added in the and of the United States of America. So it was I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, individual, liberty, and justice for all. And then in 1954, the current version that we recognize, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, the N was then capitalized, and under God was added. And so a lot of people are like, well, that wasn't added until 1954. But, if, I mean, if you look at the history, the intent has always been, it has always been that we were one nation, that we were under God, and that we were indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That has always been the intent uh, from the start of this nation, from even before this nation was formed. When, when this nation was formed, it was with the intent that we would be a united nation, we would be under God, we would be indivisible, we would be like united together, there wouldn't, we wouldn't be divided, and that there would be liberty and there would be justice for everybody, anyone who wanted to come to this nation. That was the intent when we formed it, is that there would be freedom. Whoever wants to come, come, and you can seek and receive liberty and justice and freedom here in the United States. That was the intent. Today, however, that's not exactly where we are. And, and let, me, let me share this with you, because there's two reasons why we're walking through First and Second Kings and uh, why we're doing a series called Civil War. Uh, first one is, is because now we're just a nation. We're not necessarily one nation. There are so many divisions that we are a nation. We're definitely not a nation under God. And we are so divided over racial issues, uh, over uh, political issues, I have never seen such venomous things where people talking about each other because they back a candidate and no one's actually talking to each other. They're just bad-mouthing each other because you say, hey, I hope this candidate can do this and I hope this candidate can do that. I've never seen, I was actually at a, a and I forget exactly how long ago this occurred, but you guys will remember, I was at a conference in Ohio 
where we were talking with, not a conference, just a meeting with pastors from our denominational affiliation, Converge, where we were talking about racism. That was one of the topics we were talking about and praying and what's the church's response supposed to be. And when I got back that night is when I saw that whole WTAE, and I forget the name of the lady that got fired thing. And I didn't even know what happened. I think I put on Valerie's page. I was like, what happened? And it, it like minutes later, I just went through my, and you could see, all the responses of, of what happened. But so many people, this is what happened, right? So she put something on our Facebook, and she got fired. Right or wrong, everyone else, no one started talking about it. People just took a side. I'm on this side. Yes, she should have been fired. That was racist. Or I'm on this side. It wasn't racist, whatever. No one talked about it. No one said, wow, let's, let's, let's have a conversation. And if it were up to me, I would have told her, hey, you know what? Why don't you, doesn't have to be through WTAE uh, or whatever, why don't you just videotape yourself having a conversation? I would love to do this with her about, hey, here's, here's, here's how, why you put it up. Here's what it was supposed to be. Here's what was wrong. Here's what was right. So that people start talking instead of just taking a side and being divided. And this is what our nation has become. No one talks anymore. They just take a side and start throwing blows at each other. And, and whether, I, I, I mean, I, our intent is to be with liberty and justice for all, but there are so many people that feel that their liberties are being violated and that there is actually no way for certain people groups or races or classes to get justice. And this is not just me. This is just, I mean, open your Facebook and you can see all of this from people who are supposed to be, hey, we're supposed to be one nation. Are we all supposed to agree on everything? No. Are we all ever going to agree on everything? No. Are we all ever going to be in, in unity and complete uh, one-mindedness about everything that happens in our nation or in our community? No. Are we supposed to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all? Yeah. That should never change. But it has. So that's one of the reasons we're, we're doing this series. And, and we're looking at uh, what happened with Israel and, and their downfall in hopes that we can see the impact that warring within ourselves, civil war, is going to have on our nation. It's not going to like, hey, the more we divide over stuff, we're going to get to a better place. Never before in history has that happened in any nation or any organization. Never. So I don't know why we expect it's going to happen. Now, the other reason we're doing this series, and just bear with me, right, just bear with me, is because there's a movie coming out called Civil War, which many of you may not have heard of, right? It's a comic book movie. Just give me a minute, though. Bear with me, because it, it, it has relevance other than just being super cool. But, okay, so for those of you, just, again, just, just give me the umbrella of grace. Bear with me for, like, two minutes. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there's this whole comic book, for lack of a better term, universe called Marvel Comics, and they have all these heroes. Some of you have seen Captain America, the Hulk, and all this stuff. And they've been around for years. And what they did a few years ago was they created a storyline where the government stepped in and said, hey, if you want to be a superhero, you got to take your mask off and tell people who you are. If you know anything about superheroes, most of them, you know, they, they have a secret identity to protect their family and loved ones. But the government said you need training and you're going to hurt people and, and all this stuff. And it divided the whole 
Marvel Universe for like a year, in every Marvel comic, they were talking about this civil war on racial issues that divided people racially. It divided people that were teammates divided. It divided into economic classes. And if you want to talk about like art imitating life, that was like dead on. And people who were friends and family members split and divided and were at each other's throat. Some lost their lives because there were physical fights and others just kind of, you know, separated and no longer spoke to each other. And it was one of the, like, most amazing comic book storylines in a long time, which kind of put comic books back up on the, on the map. And then they started doing all these movies. So, um, yes, we're doing this. That's the reason we called it Civil War, just because it's cool. But we're doing this series for both of those reasons. Because the division that's happening in our nation, the racial, the political, the class, the rich versus the poor, the government versus the people, the, the, the everything is doing so much harm. And for some reason, we're not seeing it. And we're not talking about it. And we're not trying to stop it. So if we, if we jump back. Um, now to uh, where we left off last week. We were in the book of um, First Kings, and we left off in chapter 11. We talked about Solomon and how he came to power, and then we left off with him the, the leading to the split of the nation of Israel because he had this division, this civil war going on within himself. You know, he, he, he had been given the power, and God came to him and said, hey, look, I'll give you the wisdom you need, and, and I'll bless you with more stuff than you can imagine so that you can run this nation because that's one of the things Solomon's asked for, the wisdom and th to run this nation and to be a just leader of God's people. And God said, if you continue to obey me and do my will, I'll make sure that your lineage stays on the throne forever. But if you pull away and you disobey me, then you're done. You're fired. And what we left off with was where Solomon was obeying God, but he had this inner struggle because he loved God, but he loved women. Not just women, lots and lots and lots of women. And as we read last week, his love of women led him to say, yeah, God wants me to do this, but my wife wants me to do this. And my other wife wants me to do this. And my other, other wife wants me to do this. And he had three, he had a thousand women total. 300, I think, were wives and 700 were concubines or baby mamas. Or maybe it was 700, 300. Thousand women all living in his household. His bathroom was like the size of Texas. Cause, yeah. But anyway, so he was like, hey, I, I know what God wants me to do. But he had an internal struggle because of what he wanted to do, which was follow after the women and do what the women wanted. And now, this is where we're going to pick up. So if you have a Bible, turn to um, 1 Kings chapter 11. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, this, is, this is after God has already told Solomon, uh, you know, if you do my will, then I'm, I'm going to let you maintain your kingdom. Uh, but then Solomon starts to not do God's will, so God puts a plan in place to remove Solomon from the throne. And in chapter 11, verse 41, is what we read. This is after Solomon has already died. That's for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did, and the wisdom he displayed. Are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? 
Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Now, this is 40 years that Solomon was on the throne. Before that, David was on the throne for 40 years. Before that, Saul ruled for 40 years. So this is a young nation. We're a young nation compared to all the nations on the planet that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years. We've got 200 and something years under our belt. Uh, this is a young nation still learning its way. And so then, verse 43, then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, chapter 12, verse 1, this is what we read. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Now, Jeroboam is someone who God reached out to and said, hey, Solomon's not doing what I want. But if you will obey me, then I will put you on the throne. And even though you have no right to be king, I will make you the king. And he said, but I am going to, not because of Solomon, but because of David, I'm going to allow them to retain a portion of the kingdom of Israel. So this is what happened. Jeroboam, son of Nut, heard that Solomon was going to be on the throne. And he returned from Egypt, verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel, this is representing all the people, he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. And today, theologians still debate over whether or not that yoke was unjustly heavy or heavy because of what needed to be accomplished, because Solomon had lavish building projects, but he also put in roads, he also created trade systems, he did a bunch of things that... Israel needed in order to continue as a dominant nation on the planet. So, yes, some of it was harsh, but theologians still, was it harsh because just he was being harsh or harsh because that's what needed to be done for a young nation? Verse 5, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Now, this is important. His advisors are telling him, hey, the people that you're ruling over are crying out. But if you listen to the will of the people, then the people will do what you want. Good wisdom for every leader that we have, because I don't know if we realize this, but our leaders that we elect, they're there to serve us. We don't put them there to rule over us. We put them there to serve us. And this is what his elders are telling him. Hey, if you listen to what the people want, now you got to use some wisdom, but if you listen to what the people want, then they will always be your servants. But then in verse 8, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as, as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. 
The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Now, just a point of clarification. The turn of events was from the Lord. It was God's will that Solomon would stay on the throne and his family members would stay on the throne and that they would be obedient to him. But when that didn't happen, then he used the pride of Rehoboam in order to do what he said would happen. If you don't listen, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you off the throne. Your family won't remain in the kingdom, and, and we'll put someone else in charge. So just to clarify, because I hear people saying this, God split the nation of Israel. God didn't split the nation of Israel. Men split the nation of Israel by not doing what God said. And God told them, if you don't do this, there will be consequences. And as long as they were faithful, God was faithful. But when they weren't, then God said, I've, I've got to let those consequences take place. Just like how many have kids, when we tell our kids, if you don't do A, the consequences are going to be B. And sometimes we kind of, we, we kind of, you know, we don't want to, well, we don't want to see them do it, so we'll let the consequences slip. But sometimes we have to, for lack of a better term, bring down the hammer and let them suffer the consequences of whose choices. Is it our choice? No, it's their choice. Although when they go to school and they tweet about it, it's your fault. That's okay. But then, so here's what happens. Verse 16, when all the people saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And they remained that way until the Babylonians came in, well, first the Assyrian nation came in and destroyed the northern kingdom, and then the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom. Verse 20, when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. And again, we don't get it, but that division, it stayed until the nations ceased to exist. And when we allow divisions to be the, uh, the, the main focus and we allow them to persist, they don't just go away. They don't just stop. They don't just end. They stay there until either the nation ends or something else happens. So here's, here's, here's and just this is kind of crucial, this civil war, this division, was because the government refused to listen to the people. The government, the king, had an opportunity to hear the people, and even if he wasn't going to listen, to respond in a way that says, hey, I hear what you guys are saying. But he could have said, here's why we need to. We still need these roads. We still need this whatever. Let's work it. Or he could have said, you know what? 
let's lessen it. Let's, let's push the projects out and let's lessen the workload. But the government refused to listen to the people. And, and again, turn on the news, turn on your Facebook. Uh, I, I'm not telling you to go watch all the debates, but it doesn't sound too different from what's happening in our nation today. And people ask, why is such and such, you know, why is Trump so popular or Sanders so popular? It's because the people feel like the government isn't listening to me, but this person is. So, yeah, I want to go behind that person. Just like everyone flocked over uh, to Jeroboam and said, he's now our king. Forget you, even though you're on the throne. We want this guy. Why? He's listening to us. And that's what we see happening in our nation. Now, the rest of the books, First and Second Kings, is, is just ridiculous. Because here's what happens. The nation is split. King of Judah, southern kingdom, uh, kings of Israel, northern kingdom. In the kings of Judah, there are 20 different kings that are listed, not including Solomon, uh, but once the nation split starting with Rehoboam, 20 different kings that they have before they are destroyed in 586 B.C. Twelve of those kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. Two started off doing good, but not for long. They also, from God's perspective, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So six of the 20 kings of the kings of Judah did right. God looked down and said, okay, uh, are you doing right in the eyes of God or are you doing bad? Six out of 20, 30%. Not great, but not what you want when you're looking for obedience. Now, in the northern kingdom, it had a shorter time span because it was destroyed in 722 B.C. They had 19 kings. Of the 19 kings, 18 did evil in the sight of the Lord. As recorded in the books of First and Second Kings, 18 did evil. One was mixed. He did evil, but then he would do something good that that's, God was like, yes. And then he would do evil, then he would do something good. So overall, he did more evil than good. So there were zero that did right in the sight of the Lord. People that were ruling over the nations that were supposed to be God-ordained nations and the rulers we're just doing awful. I mean, 30% for the southern king is not bad. Zero, not good at all. Now, there were also prophets. And you had the prophets that were supposed to be doing good. And the prophets, you had masses of prophets that were just doing evil in the sight of the Lord, not even obeying God and, and not even doing what God wanted. And you had some that would do good. Not a lot, but a few that would, that would do good. And if you read through the book of First and Second Kings, many of the books of the major and minor prophets, you can squeeze right into the timeline of First and Second Kings. I and mean, if you read through the prophets, and we're going to do a series, uh, I think, either this summer or next fall, looking at the, the prophets, a lot of them say, hey, during this time is when they served. During this time is when they served. Or they were, you would read, they would go and talk to such and such a king. But very few even of the prophets, the, the priests, the people who were supposed to be the voice of God, were doing what God wanted. Now, here's the, here's the scary thing to me. If you replace the word kings with civil leaders and the word prophets with Christian leaders, that's exactly the path that our nation is on. 
very few of the civil leaders, whether it's at the state level, the federal level, uh, every month or however often you're reading about somebody who did something weird or something wrong or some kind of embezzlement or some kind of whatever it is, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And very few of the Christian leaders are obeying what Christ said to do. And this is the same path that our nation is on, that the nation of Israel is on. And throughout the book of First and Second Kings, you read over and over, this leader did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or this leader did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the book of First Kings, this is how it ends. This is how uh, the book of First King ends. And we'll, we'll go over um, a lot of Second Kings in the next couple of weeks. Verse 51 of 1 Kings 22, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, become king, became king of Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshiped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. Over and over and over, the people who are supposed to be leading the nation are not. So if the nation is divided, and if the people are divided, I mean, there's not a lot of hope. And the same is true today, because today, uh, not so much um, are we a nation of, let's say, you know, there's that, that argument, are we a Christian nation? Probably, definitely not. But can we and should we be a nation full of fully devoted Christians? Most definitely we should be. Because the supposedly 70 some odd percent of people in this nation believe in God. Now, I don't know how accurate those polls are because no one has ever asked me. But apparently this is what they keep coming up with. 60 to 7 percent of, of Americans say that they believe in God and that they, you know, follow Christ, and, but they all have different opinions of what that looks like. But here's the question that, that we all have to ask ourselves. Are we doing right in the eyes of the Lord? Not so much are we doing evil, but are we doing right? Because that's one of the questions that God consistently asks over and over. Are people doing right in the eyes of the Lord? So I'm going to shift now and, and, and stop talking about Israel, and I'm going to talk about us, uh, about Crossroads, because this is, we also have our annual business meeting today, so actually I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and uh, hand these out to you guys, uh, and these packets is information about our, our budget and all that stuff, which we'll talk about in about 10 minutes. Um, feel free to look it over while I'm talking, um, that's okay. And make sure uh, everybody has one. Um, now, here, here, and this is, this is, and I've shared this with you before, this is the question that drives me. Are we at Crossroads doing right in the eyes of the Lord? Are we doing what God has called us to do? And I've said before, there are, and, and I talked to them, there are many pastors who would be thrilled to no end to do nothing but show up on Sunday, preach a sermon, go home, and collect a paycheck. Unfortunately, that's not me. 
I want to be effective. I want to know that I am doing what God has called me to do. So now, as you're looking at that, let me, let me give you a little bit of information about what you're looking at. Um, um, one of the pages is uh, like uh, a listing of where we spend money, salaries, operating expenses, maintenance agreements, all that kind of stuff, technology, marketing. Um, and the columns that you're looking at are percent, the percent of our 2015 budget that we actually spent, uh, what the 2015 budget was for each of those areas, what we actually spent, the dollars that we spent in 2015, and what we're proposing in 2016. Uh, and then on the next page, uh, there should be at the bottom uh, a listing for what were the proposed budget, what the actual ties and offerings were, what we actually spent, uh, and then on one of the pages, the back page, should be a listing of the actual um, quarterly amounts of tithes and offerings that were received in addition to the money that we have in each of our accounts. And, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, let me share this with you quickly because right now for us and most churches on the planet, um, this, is, this is the way that um, most churches are set up, where their staff takes about 40%, ours is like 42, uh, of, of um, and this is the way it's been over the last couple of years, 42% of the tithes and offering, bills are about 50%. Um, our missions is 8%, which is above the national average, which is about three. That means we're giving away about 8% of what we bring in towards missions and, and other ventures. Uh, most national average for most churches is three to 5%. So we're, we're, we're doing good in that area. And like I said, our goal is for us as a congregation to do 10%, because that's what we ask. The minimum that we ask you guys to do is to give 10%, so the minimum that we should be doing is giving away 10%, and um, that's one of the things we're working towards. But the ideal thing that I would like to see is where we're spending less money on staff and less money on bills and more money on outreach. I would, I would instead of, uh, and now for staff, we only have two people. We have myself that's, that's paid, and we have a, a cleaning person that we pay. And I've always said I want to keep our, 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 what we're spending on staff low so we can spend more than outreach. So when we hired a cleaning person, which I would have preferred that we would have had volunteers do it, but if no one volunteers and the work's got to be done, you have to pay someone. So in order to pay the cleaning person, um, I think I don't remember how many years ago, but... I asked you guys to give the board authority to decrease my salary if needed for any financial situation, and you guys said yes. So when I brought up getting a cleaning person to the board, um, and uh, transparent, being honest, you can ask them yourselves, they weren't totally on board with this, but we all agreed. They weren't on board at first, but we all agreed, uh, because I wanted to reduce my salary so that we're not having to come up with additional money to pay a cleaning person. So two-thirds of what we're paying our cleaning person came out of my salary. So only one-third of what we're paying a cleaning person uh, is coming out of additional, uh, additional funds. And, and that's just me. I would prefer, I mean, I, I, I like to eat, in case you guys didn't know. I love to eat. I have a T-shirt fetish. I like buying T-shirts. Uh, so, I, yes, I do want to get paid, but I would prefer that more of the money that you guys are giving be used to reach other people and to help other people than just to pay the electric bill and to pay the water bill. Those things we're going to always have to pay, so all we can do is be good stewards of them to keep those down. 
But I would love to see us give more to missions and do more things and more events and more outreach. And um, since from years ago we struck helicopter off the table, uh, meet camp is definitely on the list of future events. Somehow we're going to make that happen. But here's the thing. Uh, I would also like to see um, is that of the work that we get done, less of it done by staff and more of it done by team leaders and volunteers. And I hear from people all the time, hey, we used to do you know, this, and we have this kind of event, and a chili event, and a sandwich event, and we had stuff literally almost every six to eight weeks, we had some kind of event going on. And the reason is I wasn't responsible for it. Someone stepped in and said, hey, can we do this? And I was like, sure, what do you need from me to make that happen? And they took charge, and they, they, they made it happen. And we used to have lots of team leaders doing stuff. And one of the things that I, I, I will fess up, and I've told this to the board, my fault, working on it, is an issue for God to work in it with me. When we had team leaders, I would tell our team leaders, what do you need from me? How can I help you in your ministry? How can I pray for you? One of the things that I didn't tell them is one of your main responsibilities is to replicate yourself to raise up another leader so when the time comes for you to walk away or step down, someone else is ready to keep that ministry going. And so when they eventually moved away or walked away or, you know, life happened and they could no longer do that ministry, it just stopped. And this is one of the things that we need to, to change. And, and I told the board, hold me accountable. You guys hold me accountable as well because when someone steps up and says, I want to do this, one of the first things that we're going to work on is making sure that they keep in mind one of their priorities is to replicate themselves, not just make the ministry happen, but raise up other leaders so that the ministry keeps going even if they walk away. All right. Now, uh, here's the thing. We don't need a lot of people to do all that stuff. We just need willing people because when we were doing all that stuff, when we started doing it, we had less people than this, and this ain't a lot. But we had people who were willing to say, hey, I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll make this happen, and I'll make that happen. And, and that's all we need today is people that are willing to step up and say, hey, I'll make this happen, I'll make that happen, I'll help out with this, or I'll help out with that. Now, uh, let me show this. And it, hopefully you guys have heard this before. If not, again, my apologies because I, I want to reiterate this. Our mission, Crossroads, just be the church. Share and show the love of Christ. Invite others to receive Christ's love. Share and show is pivotal because not just do you want to tell people about God, but your actions and, yes, your Facebook posts need to reflect that love of Christ. Because if you're telling people, hey, I'm a Christ follower and I love you, but then you're cursing them out the next day on Facebook, that, that doesn't quite match up with the kind of God that they probably want to get to know. And, and we hope that as we're doing this, our vision is to just create places where people can experience God, not necessarily uh, by you bringing people here. We want you to bring people here. We want you to invite people here. But when you sit down with your coworker and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Uh, when you sit down with your family members who don't know Christ and, and tell them what God has done in your life, you're creating a place for them to experience God. And that's what we want. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what the entire book of Acts is based upon. People coming to a gathering, entering into a relationship with God, and then going out and sharing and showing the love of Christ, and then other people saying, wow, I see what God's doing in your life. How can I get that? Now, here's the other thing. 
because um, someone, uh, I don't remember who, people keep asking me, well, what are the, the things that we, that we need to have happen as a congregation that we want to continually, we're always going to do Sunday celebrations. We're always going to keep that going. That's always going to be a part of who we are. Uh, and we're always going to try to tell you guys. That's why we did a whole series this year starting off saying ignite your passion. Find, fulfill your mission. Find what God is calling you to do, what you excites you, and do it for God. Whether it be something in here or something out in the community. And there are some of you that are involved in all these places out in the community that we might never see in here, but you're doing it. You're, you, if that excites you and you're doing it uh, for, with the love of God, great. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're always going to do Sunday celebrations. We're always going to try to get people to serve God and others. And we're always going to share the gospel. We're always going to, not just with our words, but with our actions, but with our uh, who we are, get people to hopefully get people excited about telling other people what God has done in their lives. Now, here's some things that we need to work on. Uh, we need to raise up more leaders. You say, but we... We need more people to raise more leaders. And, and I was telling someone, I don't remember, I have a failing memory. I remember who I was talking to but recently, but the number one way that you get people is not what we do on our website, although we want to upgrade that. It's not um, the podcast that we put out, but we want to keep doing those. It's when you say, come with. Well, that was just earlier today at the, when we were talking about the Riverfest thing. You invite people. I do have a bad memory. I'm sorry. But that is the number one way that you get people. You don't say, hey, go check out my church. You say, hey, do you want to come with? Do you want to come with me? And then we'll go have lunch afterwards and you can tell me uh, what you think about it. I just did that with someone at the upper room. Um, like, hey, I would love to get your feedback on what you think about it, so come with me. We'll go check it out. And then we had dinner afterwards, and, and he was telling me all that he thought about it and all that stuff. That's what we're supposed to do. But we need to raise up leaders. If we want to have all these ministries and all those events, I can't do it all because I get, and again, being transparent, I get a lot of feedback from the board, uh, and it's a cross between, hey, why aren't we doing more of these things to, hey, you can't do everything. And that's right. I, I cannot, nor do I want to, but if we want to do more things, then we need more people involved to do it. Uh, one of the areas that we're definitely going to need to work on is the children's ministry. And here's the reality. If we don't get a volunteer to do it, and right now we're trying to find an intern to do it, if we don't get someone to do it, just like with a cleaning person, we're going to have to pay someone to do it. Just like with uh, mowing the grass. I hate mowing the grass. It's got to be moved unless God makes it snow all summer, which I would be okay with if I never had to push another lawnmower. But it's got to be done. So what Christy and I did is we pay someone because we couldn't get people to cut the church grass. So we, not out of our church budget, out of our pocket, we pay someone to come and cut the church grass because it needs to be done. But I don't want to do it. And children's ministry needs to be done. And I can't do it. I can't be up here and teaching them. And I, I get it that some people say, well, we don't need a curriculum. We should just teach them out of the Bible. It doesn't matter the content. It should be biblical. But we need to have something. And we can't wait until they get here. Could you imagine if you moved to a new school district and you took your kids to school the first day and you say, I want, a, I want an idea what you're going to teach them. And they say, well, we haven't really thought about it, but now that you're here, we'll come up with something. Would, would you stay there? No. So we need to have something in place. And here's the thing. We have smaller kids here. Um, ben and Alyssa have smaller kids. Uh, 
Rob and Sue have, have um, Sammy. So even though they're small, I would rather that they be here and someone sitting back there with them, it, whether it be coloring things of God, talking to them about things of God, but begin revealing to them that there is a God who loves them. I'd rather have that than them sitting home. And it's not fair to them that we don't have someone doing that. And, and, and before I continue, let me tell you this. It's, we did not put in our budget to hire someone for children's ministry. That's not in our budget. Because I am hoping and praying that we can either get an intern to do it, or they're looking just to, to pad their resume, or that we get people to do it. But if we don't, we're going to have to hire someone. It's going to have to happen. And the other thing that we need to do is we need to do more outreach, like the Riverfront Praise and Worship. We need to do more things where we are out in the community at least once a quarter. There should be something that we're doing, if not more often, out in and around Jefferson Hills, whether it be at Teeps Park or wherever, we should be doing something. Because someone brought up, well, how else are people going to know that your, your church is even here? Well, we got a sign out there, but as you all know, people fly up this hill. No one reads the sign. They're going too fast to read the sign. So the only way they're going to know is if we're constantly out there doing things. All right? And it, it all boils down to this. This, is, this all boils down to that, that simple question that we said. Are we doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? It's not that we're doing evil or wrong. Are we doing what God wants Crossroads Community Church to do? So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to just close out with a quick song, and then we'll be on our way. God, we pray that going forward, every single thing that we do, whether it be a penny that is spent, whether it be a hand that is lifted, everything that we do, we would be doing what is right in your eyes. Not, not in my eyes as the pastor, not in the board's eyes as elders, but in your eyes. We pray that we would be united in the way that we do it, that we would do it in such a way that it brings glory and honor to you, and that we would do it with purpose and intentionality, and most importantly, with the joy of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.